Chapter 4 The Market For many people, the major point that initially picks their interest in cryptocurrency is the exponential rise in price, and this may be the reason you chose to read this book. A story that is frequently brought up in the media is the story of the first purchase of goods and services for Bitcoin, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins. At the time, the value of that transaction was about $20 US. However, by December 2017, 10,000 Bitcoins were worth 195 million US dollars. The Bitcoin market price tends to have exponential growth spurts and bubble market cycles. While initially virtually worthless, in August 2010, the Bitcoin price first breached 5 US cents. The first major bubble was the following year in June 2010 when the price peaked at 32 US dollars before tumbling back down to 2 US dollars. The second major bubble was precipitated by the late 2012 supply shock when the block reward was halved from 50 bitcoins to 25 bitcoins. As demand exploded, the price rocketed to $255 US by early April, then collapsed overnight to $50 US. The third major bubble was later that year in December when the price shot up again, this time peaking at $1,150 US before collapsing again over 2014 and bottoming out at $177 US in early April 2015. Then there was the price bubble of 2017 that peaked just before Christmas that year at $19,500 US dollars. It's important to understand the mechanics of the market cycle and moreover how predictable it is. The supply of Bitcoin is capped at 21 million coins and that circulation level will be reached in 2140 according to the protocol programming. As already mentioned, in order to limit supply, the block reward, Coinbase transaction, is designed to halve approximately every four years. Thus, the supply shocks, like the ones that occurred in 2012 and 2016, are entirely predictable. By 2016, the more experienced members of the Bitcoin community were expecting a major acceleration in price growth in the period following the July 2016 halving. Likewise, despite Bitcoin not being able to resolve the current scaling issues it's experiencing, it was totally predictable that another supply shock and rapid price increase would occur in 2020 as supply was further restricted and failed to keep up with increasing demand. The bubbles have become so commonplace, the boom-bust market cycle so predictable that the long-term fanboys of Bitcoin, the hodlers, a corruption of the word holder that became a meme, firmly believe that it almost doesn't matter when you purchase the asset because as long as you retain it for at least five years, you'll be able to wait out the next market cycle and, without a doubt, be up on your original investment. You'll end up in the new market cycle with a new all-time high and a low that's higher than the previous all-time high. It's also worth noting the logarithmic nature of the growth in the Bitcoin price. 10 times increases in the price over a short period of time are expected and have happened many times in the history of Bitcoin as the price jumps from 1 cent to 10 cents, 10 cents to $1, $1 to $10, $10 to $100, $100 to $1,000, and $1,000 to $10,000. The logarithm of the historical Bitcoin price is almost a straight line. Most of the Bitcoin price action takes place on the exchanges. Cryptocurrency exchanges have come a long way since 2013 when Mt. Gox, a now infamous exchange, had 80% global market share. 
Mt. Gox was originally a website based in Japan that acted as a platform for trading cards from the Magic the Gathering online card game, like Stocks. It chose to diversify its service offering into Bitcoin, and by 2013, business was booming. Unfortunately, as the price of Bitcoin skyrocketed and the site became the target for online thieves and hackers, they were ill-prepared. Denial of service attacks were commonplace, and by 2014, rumors were swirling around that the exchange was insolvent as fiat currency withdrawals were being delayed indefinitely with no explanation. Users panicked, and the Bitcoin price became considerably more expensive on the site compared to its competitors as account holders who had held fiat currencies in their wallet on the site were willing to pay a premium to switch to cryptocurrency in order to withdraw all their funds. In February 2014, the CEO, Mark Karpelis, announced that 850,000 bitcoins, valued at $450 million at the time, had gone missing, and subsequently, the company applied for bankruptcy protection from creditors. Although 200,000 bitcoins were eventually found, Thorough forensic investigations revealed that the bitcoins had been stolen from the exchange's hot wallet. A hot wallet is connected to the internet, whereas a cold wallet is disconnected from the internet. With the first portion stolen as early as 2011, there will be more elaboration on this case in later chapters. It's important to stipulate that while Bitcoin and cryptocurrency have become synonymous with hacking, any thefts have always been a result of inadequate security procedures at the company rather than inadequacies in the code. The only way for thieves to successfully steal Bitcoins from a Bitcoin address is if the corresponding private key is compromised. In respect to hacking, the Bitcoin code has been battle-hardened and tested for more than a decade, and until now, no one has been able to break it, although some bugs, like transaction malleability, were discovered but subsequently repaired. Since the Mt. Gox debacle proved the need for more professional outfits that value the importance of enhanced security, many finance security experts entered the industry and the exchanges have improved considerably. Other hacks have occurred since, most notably the Bitfinex hack of August 2016, when 120,000 bitcoins worth $72 million were stolen from customer accounts. And in the cryptocurrency space, the CoinCheck NEM hack of January 2018, when $535 million worth of NEM tokens were stolen. In the case of Bitfinex, the fiat value of the stolen coins was eventually paid back to customers, while with CoinCheck, a restitution process was established although eventually the company had to agree to be acquired by another company in order to fulfill this obligation. Apart from exchanges, it's also possible to exchange bitcoins in person-to-person -person trades, or on private exchange websites like localbitcoins.com. With localbitcoins.com, it's possible for two users to meet up in person and move the bitcoins from the seller's mobile phone to the buyer's mobile phone in exchange for the equivalent in cash. Alternatively, it's possible to use the site's escrow service that facilitates the exchange via bank transfer with the bitcoins only being dispersed once the bank payment has been verified. For many people, it's difficult to understand how code made up of ones and zeros can even have a value. However, it's not so hard to understand once you comprehend the current government-backed fiat system that we already have. As mentioned earlier, in the past, before the 1970s, most government currencies were backed by gold. However, in 1972, 
US President Richard Nixon removed the gold standard from the US currency system. While previously, for every note printed, governments had to buy an equivalent amount of gold to keep in their vaults, once the gold standard was retired, it became possible for the government to freely print extra currency whenever they needed it. This would have been fine if the governments had been responsible, but unfortunately they haven't been, and as a result, eroded the trust of the people they're meant to represent. Quantitative easing, printing more money to increase the money supply, is in its essence a tax that penalizes savers. Through inflation debasement, the amount of goods you can buy with a $100 bill is gradually decreasing over time, while governments obtain an additional source of income to spend on whatever they please, whether that be bombs for invasions, banquets, or any other non-essential item. The advent of Bitcoin and many other similar cryptocurrencies brings two new possibilities to the table. On the one hand, you have the scarce supply of the coin. This means that if you move your savings to Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, you can escape the fiat trap by owning a token that isn't subject to the inflationary whims of your neighborhood central banker. On the other hand, you need to imagine a world in the future where cryptocurrency wallets are as ubiquitous as Facebook accounts. If everyone is using alternative currencies that facilitate trade and the transfer of value between people without the need for financial intermediaries, suddenly it's possible for people to anonymously pay the lawnmower man in privacy or pay the corner store operator in privacy, all without any government being aware of the money flows. For government revenue, this is a real threat as suddenly a huge section of the economy disappears. Thus, it becomes conceivable that cryptocurrencies are going to force governments to change the way they do business and how they collect taxes. Hopefully, this leads to a bright future, but in all possibility, this could lead to a very dark future. Either way, the Pandora's box has been opened, and now we have to figure out how we ride this wave. Once one realizes that the current traditional fiat system is based on both trust that our overlords won't abuse the inflationary system, which they do with unrestrained quantitative easing, and faith that the paper money we receive in return for our efforts will retain its value without being significantly devalued. It isn't difficult to see how a hard-coded trustless system based on numbers and mathematics could be superior. Bitcoin has inbuilt scarcity that ensures value appreciation while supply is restricted, and profiting from this scarcity gives all the node participants in the network the incentive to maintain the status quo and not push for changes in that deflationary setup. Thus, much like gold has been a hedge against fiat currency inflation for thousands of years, Bitcoin and its brethren can become the future store of value for the digital age, with bonus added features like portability and security. The advent of a deflationary currency that incentivizes holders to retain their wealth rather than spend it. Imagine if the guy who bought the 10,000 Bitcoin pizzas had saved his money instead of ordering out. This understandably has many economists, in particular Keynesian economists, nervous in regard to the effect it may have on economic growth. John Maynard Keynes was one of the most famous economists of the 20th century, and he postulated the foundational ideas on aggregate demand. His fundamental theories relate to how spending money on goods and services increases aggregate demand in an economy by stimulating economic activity. For example, when someone receives wages, they can use them to pay for groceries in the supermarket. This in turn 
allows the supermarket owner to profit and spend money on hiring a construction firm to expand the supermarket's retail space. The construction firm in turn uses the revenue they receive from the supermarket to pay the cement company to supply the cement for the project. The cement company uses the revenue from the construction company to pay the wages of its employees who in turn use their wages to buy groceries from the supermarket, and so the cycle continues. For governments, this is the main justification for fiscal expansion-powered government spending. These spending budgets are in turn financed by increased tax revenues paid for in part by the inflationary quantitative easing that devalues the savings of everyday people. As already mentioned, Inflation is a relatively new concept in economics, and 200 years ago when currencies were backed by gold dollar for dollar, prices didn't change that much century to century. One reason for this is that governments were smaller and weren't in need of the extra levers that central bank quantitative easing allowed them. However, now inflation has a significant role in maintaining the economic status quo and how our societies function as a whole. Especially in the modern environmental era where we live, we have to recognize the profound effects of the way our system functions. Because human society is so focused on economic growth and constantly moving forward, Inflation also has a psychological effect on the way we think. Emotionally, we require that wages appear to go up every year, company earnings achieve records, and house prices increase. The government understands this and constantly maintains a carrot on a stick in front of us in the form of inflation to make us think that we are moving forward. In actual fact, the reality is quite different. In real terms, allowing for inflation Wages have stagnated and living standards are declining in many parts of the developed world. And this is just based on the government-calculated measures of inflation that don't even take into account major expense categories like house prices that have skyrocketed in recent years. But even staying in the same position can have perilous consequences in our environmentally stretched world. Even if hidden inflation negates the 4% annual growth that developed economy governments idealize yet struggle to achieve, our consumerist society is already living way beyond our means in terms of what needs to happen if we are to create an environmentally sustainable planet. Governments hold conferences that struggle to reach agreements on limiting carbon emissions, yet even those hoped-for agreements are woefully inadequate when we consider what needs to be done to save our environment. For the current global population to reach sustainable levels of consumption in regards to individuals' carbon footprints, the average human would have to reduce their carbon footprint to that of the average rural Indian villager. Thus, the Keynesian philosophy of spend, 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 grow, grow, grow is no longer appropriate for our long-term survival as a species, and the inflation ideology fueled by fiscal expansions, which are in turn supported by quantitative easing and increased debt burdens, no longer makes sense. Another cog in the wheel of our corrupt financial system is debt-based fractional reserve banking, whereby financial institutions are able to lend out a significant fraction of their deposits, which are subsequently redeposited in the banks by direct and indirect beneficiaries of those loans. These redeposited deposits are then lent out to new borrowers who pay them on to new depositors, creating a constant cycle that in effect creates money out of nothing. 
This process also contributes to the Keynesian ideals stimulating aggregate demand despite our limited resources. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies promote a new kind of fiscal responsibility based on saving and staying within one's means. By its very nature, Bitcoin hampers the ability of governments to tax through inflation and financial institutions to create money out of thin air through the fractional reserve banking system. But what about volatility? How can cryptocurrency be a store of value when its value fluctuates daily by such significant percentages? It is well known that cryptocurrencies at this stage in their development are by no means stable. However, it also has to be noted that over the long term, volatility has been decreasing, particularly with the more mature coins like Bitcoin. The fact is that Bitcoin is still experimental, still immature, and everyone is still trying to work out what a realistic value equates to, while others are still contemplating whether it even has a value. Gold surely didn't become the global unit of account overnight, and equally, one can't expect the whole world to get their heads around an invisible currency composed of zeros and ones overnight either. However, it can't be denied that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have many inherent features that are highly desirable and many features that are completely unique. For one, cryptocurrencies are difficult to confiscate. As long as the owner of the private key is able to keep their private key secret, there is no way for another party to gain control of any coins held in the corresponding Bitcoin address. Furthermore, the private key can even be stored as a deterministic mnemonic seed wallet, which encodes the key as 12 different randomly selected words. Plugging those words into an algorithm allows the owner to extract the 64-digit private key. Thus, it's possible to store coins in what is called a brain wallet. That is, by memorizing the 12 seed words, the owner of the private keys can take his Bitcoin anywhere without the need for even possessing a smartphone, a laptop, or a USB memory device. This makes it possible to take currency anywhere and to any country. All the owner needs is an internet connection to access his coins immediately. Contrast this with the infrastructure that's required to keep fiat currency or gold secure, especially if you are storing large amounts. Gold not only takes up space, but it's heavy and not easy to transport. Consider the security required to transport $1 billion of gold, the guards, the armored cars, in comparison to how easy it is to transport $10 billion in cryptocurrency in a brain wallet. There's no comparison, and the cryptocurrency is easy to hide. From a historical perspective, this means a lot. For example, during World War II, the Nazis arrested and deported millions of Jews from all over Europe, transporting them by rail to death camps like Auschwitz in Poland. However, all of the logistics for transporting prisoners had to be paid for somehow, and most of the German bourse was being spent on fighting the war on two fronts. The most efficient way for the Nazis to pay for the operation was by making their victims pay. In mass, they confiscated whatever they could from the Jews whom they captured, selling their jewelry, their financial assets, the gold in their teeth, the silverware, property, any possessions they could forcibly get their hands on. 
but the Holocaust would have turned out differently if the Jews were in possession of brain wallets instead of easily confiscatable material possessions and assets. The machinery would have ground to a halt, with no revenue to support its continuation. In many ways, this example proves that digital assets could one day be worth as much, if not more, than other comparable real-world assets. The question is though, how far can you project the continual increase in the market cap of this asset class? What is the limit? What is a fair valuation? As much as a large cap NASDAQ stock like Apple? As much as the money supply of a medium-sized country? As much as the global supply of gold? As much as the combined valuation of all the world's stock markets? In fact, could the growth of this portable digital asset class that can't be confiscated lead to the collapse of all other asset classes as its virtues are recognized and judged to be superior to those of the other asset classes? However, times are changing. Bitcoin is no longer the only act in town. Growing popularity has affected the asset as the challenges of scalability have arrived. More users and limited block space has put a strain on the network's resources and the community has scrambled to find appropriate solutions as the increase in transaction fees has made the currency unusable for everyday cash transactions for which it was designed. The consequential Bitcoin civil war over scalability will be elaborated on in the next chapter. Market-wise, Bitcoin has been losing market share as its functionality has been impeded. While in previous years, Bitcoin would occupy almost 95% of the entire cryptocurrency market, the scaling issues have caused the community to splinter and for many new currencies, altcoins to appear. Alternative coins are cryptocurrencies based on the open source Bitcoin code with additional tweaks to alter their properties. The altcoins are filling the void in the markets that Bitcoin has been unable to serve well. As Bitcoin's code is open source, there are no proprietary laws to impede other teams from acquiring the source code and altering it to suit their own particular preference. Currently, there are over 1,600 altcoins with new ones popping up every day. In fact, many sites have been created that let you create your own coin within a few minutes with whatever tweaks you believe the coin requires. While most of the projects haven't succeeded, many have and Bitcoin's market share has declined as a result. By 2018, the Bitcoin market share of the cryptocurrency market had declined to as little as 36%, all within the space of about a year, although it has since recovered somewhat. This decline wasn't just caused by the innovative new technologies that have filled the market in the last few years. Moreover, it was caused by the inability of the community to decisively agree on a common strategy to tackle the scaling issue. It's for this reason that the Bitcoin buy and hodl strategy of yesteryear may no longer be appropriate. Just as MySpace was overtaken by Facebook seemingly overnight, despite the tremendous capital injection from News Corp, the Bitcoin community may need to lose some of its first mover arrogance and realize that being first is very rarely a successful ingredient for lasting success. However, other factors have also spurred this sudden change in market composition. One point to be aware of 
is the excessive amount of market manipulation, pump and dump scams, and general shenanigans taking place in the wider, completely unregulated 24-hour global cryptocurrency markets. These behaviors are all demonstrated in the SEC report on Centricoin in early 2018. The drivers of this project were exposed publicly as having directed regular exchange pump and dump activities that had driven demand and market cycle reactions. With time, it's possible to avoid putting yourself in these kind of risky scenarios by looking for telltale signs. Scam coins are often recognizable because of the way that their circulation is designed. Be wary of currencies that have excessive amounts of pre-mined coins, where founders have created a large percentage of the total coin supply for themselves before the official launch. If the total supply is much larger than the circulating supply, it is a concern as it indicates that a large cache of coins could be owned by insiders who may dump it on the market at any time without warning and crash the price. Also, if the daily traded volume is a large percentage of the total volume, it suggests that no one has confidence in the coin and that everyone's trying to sell it on to the next greater fool. Another factor leading to the rapid expansion of altcoins in comparison to Bitcoin is the increased publicity for Bitcoin that has drawn in many people who, aware of the MySpace Facebook history, are in search of their own Bitcoin get-rich-quick moment. Unfortunately, because in contrast to shares, cryptocurrencies don't have any fundamentals like earnings or profits, it's difficult to evaluate the economic basis for valuations. In effect, sometimes it feels like the cryptosphere is actually just the world's biggest completely unregulated casino and each currency is another slot machine waiting to be played. Sometimes cryptocurrency chat rooms on exchanges resemble old men's circles at greyhound dog tracks exchanging the next hot tip. Triverge? It sounds really interesting. You should check it out. Or, I've heard good things about Seacoin. It's definitely a 10xer in the next 12 months. Thus, with so much uncertainty and over 1,600 possible altcoin candidates, trying to pick the next big cryptocurrency might be a nearly impossible task. So rather than trying to pick a winner, the most prudent strategy is to hedge your bets and invest in a range of the top coins by market cap. Choosing such a hedging strategy keeps you exposed to the overall growth of the industry without having to feel devoted to one particular coin. In 2017, investors who invested in an index fund of the top 20 currencies would have made 8,000%, while Bitcoin's spectacular rise topped out at a mere 1,300%. This phenomenon is entirely due to Bitcoin's ever-declining share of the cryptocurrency market. Thus, the era has changed. If Bitcoin can't solve its scaling issues, its dominance of the market is over. Only time will demonstrate how this story pans out. Next episode of WTF is Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency and blockchain guide for dinner parties. We'll be reading Chapter 5, The Bitcoin Civil War and will focus on the dramatic split in 2017 that occurred as different factions in the community were unable to reach agreement on how to scale the technology to cater to an ever-increasing market of users. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't hesitate to like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with anyone you think will enjoy it. It really helps us reach a much larger audience.